Hi. How's reInvent so far? Good? Are you, are you done traveling back and forth to the, the different locations? I hear that commute can be a bit of a, a trip. So this is Managing Regulatory Expectations, and I'm Jody Scrafani from AWS Security. And I'm really excited to see a number of people interested in regulatory expectations. But if you're being held against your will, there's some people around here who can help you get out. Um, but why are you really here? Um, most of you are probably here because you're trying to earn the trust of someone, earning the trust of your regulatory agencies, earning the trust of your businesses, and that's critical to your business. It's critical to your customers' ability to trust in you, their non-public information, their publicly identifiable information. And Steve Covey in the Speed of Trust, a book I'm reading, I was reading the other day, says that the speed that trust increases speed increases and cost decreases. And it's this idea that as you're earning the trust of your regulatory agencies, when I think of it from a managing regulatory expectations and cloud perspective, it's this idea that you earn the trust of your regulatory agencies, and so you can be faster in innovating for customers, you can be faster in the way that you operate, and you can be more agile in, in innovation like cloud services. And then cost goes down, and I think of cost going down not just because you're using cloud and, and there are cost savings possible for you there, but also because this whole, that whole adage, if you think compliance is expensive, try non-compliance. And you, when you lose customer trust, that's costly for you. And the more customers that you have and the more trust you've earned with them, the more benefit your, your market your business uh, takes from that. Um, and so in this session, what I've done is, I, I know you've all been spending this week you know, diving deep on code and seeing slides that are super interactive, but this is more of a talk. Uh, so I spent about the last three years working with customers like yourselves and regulatory agencies, work through how cloud adapts, um, like how cloud changes the regulatory framework and how to understand what the, what the expectations are. The expectations don't really change, but the way that there's a fundamental change in the way that you think about those expectations. And so my session is based on my experience working with customers like yourself in the regulatory agencies. And so I'm gonna walk through what I found were common co concepts in working with customers. And then I'm gonna have Mark Weijin from the Depository Trust uh, Corporation join me on stage and they're an AWS customer, and they've spent the last 50 years digitizing and securing a large part of the financial services infrastructure. And Mark's perspective is, Mark is a global, uh, head of global public policy, and his perspective is more from a policy perspective. How does he talk to regulatory agencies and get them comfortable? And let me tell you why quickly, about why I think this is important for you all. So you, d you probably don't go meet with regulatory agencies. You're probably actually in the weeds designing, and you're probably spending this week becoming subject matter expertise in everything AWS Cloud. But what this session gives you is a, a food for thought when you are actually designing why it's important to your business, why it's important to have the trust and make good decisions, and specifically those on to meet your regulatory expectations. And so this session will walk you through those concepts. So you're not gonna see long lines of code that you couldn't read anyway. Uh, you are going to hear us having a dialogue 
when Mark comes up, we're going to have a dialogue about everything from how to meet their expectations to what are the new things that people like you need to be thinking about. So as we get started, the, one of the first concepts I want to talk about is your stakeholders. So just a quick run of the room, how many people include compliance as one of your stakeholders in moving to the cloud? Wow, you're lying. Just kidding. Um, they are. There's a number of people. There's a fundamental change in the way that cloud is considered for all of the people in your organization. And so whether it's your, your business, it is compliance, it's legal, it's procurement, it's risk, it's public policy. These are people who are out there going to have to do things besides design and actually truly understand the deep way cloud works. But these are people who are going to have to understand it. And that fundamental change that I would most say that those, those stakeholders need to know about is this concept of shared responsibility. How many people have seen this over the, really deeply understand shared responsibility? Less than the number of people who talk to their compliance departments. That's interesting. So for those of you who don't understand this concept of shared responsibility in the way that I'm talking about with your stakeholders. So from AWS's perspective, we're responsible for the infrastructure on which our services run. That's the hardware, the software, the networking, and the actual phys physical facilities where our services are running. Now, customers' responsibility will be dictated by the services that they select. And so if you take Elastic Compute Cloud, which is infrastructure as a service, Customers are responsible for the security management and configuration. And when you're working with your stakeholders and when you're working with people like compliance who are used to actually speaking to the regulatory agencies, when they're speaking to them about vendors, they're speaking to them about, um, yes, our vendor has a disaster recovery plan. Yes, they do. And that's not the right conversation they'd be having now. Now there's a whole dialogue around your responsibilities. How are you configuring? How, how did you get comfortable with the cloud? How, did, how are you going to manage um, all the additional controls that you're going to have in conjunction with the controls that we manage? And so the shared responsibility, I think of this as sort of that first pillar, that first real hurdle you need to get your stakeholders through is to educate them. And, and I'll speak later about the number of resources that you have um, to help get them on, on the path. And Mark will speak a little bit about how his organization handles that, that big lift. So I mentioned that there's areas that were common among every industry, every geo, and implementation of them will really be specific to your usage of AWS, how you choose to design. So I'm talking to the you, the people in the rooms who are out there designing. So these five common concepts, these choices that you make in these areas will be important to your regulatory messaging. So let's get started with the first one oversight and risk assessment. So this is, the risk assessment is the key way that you demonstrate to regulatory agencies that you understand the usage of AWS. I do have a number of uh, regulatory agencies and customers who talk to me about, hey, can you just get us an approval for usage of AWS from our regulatory agency? But with shared responsibility, that it doesn't work that way. You actually have to give them the context of what you're doing on us, which services you're going to use, how you're going to use them, how are you going to manage security, how are you going to plan for DR, what's your incident response plan. All of that is still in your control because there's a shared responsibility. 
but you need to do a proper risk assessment of our infrastructure first before you, you, you do that. And so I'm out there with the regulatory agencies earning their trust from an AWS perspective. We introduce ourselves, we get them comfortable with understanding who we are and what we're doing, but what they really want is before they take that next step in understanding what you're doing and perhaps having to approve your workloads, they want to understand what you're doing and how you're managing your environment on us. And I was speaking to one of our security essays and I had said to him, what is, what's something that you would say for the people in the room would be one of the most common things that they should be doing when they're working with their stakeholders? And he actually said, using, making sure that your product teams and your service teams use the services that can demonstrate control effectiveness. And what that means is you're, as, as you're onboarding services, make sure that you understand how the service works within our environment. Make sure you understand what your controls are. And we'll talk a little bit when we get to security about making sure you understand how, you're how you work within that environment. The other, the other great story here is around AWS Artifact. Hopefully you've had a chance, someone in this room has had a chance to see it over the, the course of your couple days here. But this is a great way to like, really get your risk teams and your audit teams and your compliance teams to start self-servicing on our platform. And once they get past the understanding shared responsibility and building your, your new risk assessment framework for cloud, because you really do need to take a new look at what your risk assessment's going to be for cloud, because there are, there are, the controls are different. And so you need to think about them differently. And once you get past that, they can actually self-service and get our third-party audit reports through AWS Artifact. And so you give them access to the console and they can go in and pull it down anytime they want it. They can create notifications when a new report comes up. And so there's a, that reminder and, and ability to go back in every six months, every year, whenever you're gonna do your, uh, your annual checkup or biannual checkup of uh, our services and your usage of our services. An exit strategy. Now, I'm not inviting anyone to leave our platform. Quite the opposite. One of the things I wanna recognize is that we, we know that regulatory agencies require many highly regulated markets and highly regulated customers, such as yourselves, to actually have a plan for understanding what would happen if you had to leave AWS? How would you do it? In the most, in the most situations, currently the vendors you're using, you have contractual lock-in and you have issues with having to get your data. You actually have to get, receive your data from them. But on AWS, this is pay as you go. You have data migration services in and out of AWS. You have database migration services in and out of AWS. And then the, the second element of it is within your architecture and staying ahead of what's going on in the environment. One of the things Mark is gonna talk briefly about, I'm gonna steal a little bit of your thunder, Mark, is the long runway. With Moore's Law and technology growing and changing so frequently, you actually don't have that ability any longer to you know, take five years to migrate off a, a pro provider. And so you need to have built into your environment in, in, your, in your, whether it's your cloud's you know, center of excellence or whatever group you've designed for technology innovation, these people need to understand what's going on in, in the overall innovative space and that's how you plan for your exit strategy. Security and privacy. Now, this is a big one, and I could, 
probably spend a number of sessions just talking about this. But the two things that come to mind when I speak to regulatory agencies, one of the first things they ask me for is, how are we making sure that you get the best practices and know how to use our environment? Because they, once they get past understanding shared responsibility, they understand, wow, there's a lot of control for the customer. Do they know how to manage this environment? And within all of our service documentation, you can get best practices. It's a great place for your stakeholders to learn and understand the services is just reading the best practices because it gives it more, more insight into the controls and how they should be managed. And then the other thing is this idea behind security by design. Has anyone here heard of security by design or golden architecture, a few people? So what the regulatory expectations, what they really want to understand is, okay, you're, you're going to design the perfect, most secure architecture on you know, day five of working within our environment. How are you going to make sure that everybody in your organization uses that golden image you've created? How are you going to keep that golden image up to date? What they're really interested in, and we're going to talk about this a number of times, we're really interested in automation. This, it, it's really the time that I see regulatory agencies not being, um, you know, not being uh, hesitant in the environment. They're leaning right into the automation and software controls. And so the story you can tell and the narration you can tell and the more time you can spend creating the perfect guardrails for your organization or whatever perfect means in your organization, the better, story, better narration people like Mark are going to have when they have to go talk about your usage of AWS or your usage of a cloud provider. High availability and disaster recovery. So our CTO says plan for failure with 16 regions and 44 availability zones. Seems pretty easy. And I'd love to be able to stand up here and say, do exactly this, but that doesn't work for every customer. So what I can tell you is what I talk about with regulatory agencies. I, was, I recently had a conversation uh, with a customer and their regulatory agency, and this particular customer has had challenges around operationalizing their disaster recovery plan. And they're, you know, they're pretty big infrastructure piece in their market. And the regulatory agency, we're going through the checklist of things they want to talk about. When we get to DR, you can see there was some tension in the room. And as they started talking about it, they said, well, you know, let us just tell you what we're doing before you start asking us questions. And they told them about how they operationalized their DR plan and that they test it every month. And they don't test it in the sense that, you know, they wait till Friday night when everyone's gone home at midnight and they make these poor people come in and shut down everything and start spinning up stuff and they just hope it works and they always have problems. It doesn't work that way for them now. Now what they do is on a Thursday afternoon, they just fail over to another region and they just, they literally start working in another region. And they are able to, and their audit team gets involved and their audit team actually goes through the logs to make sure that they can actually show the story within their audit logs about how, you know, when the new instances in US West came up, how long it took, and make that correlation in, in that narration. And that actually led to the regulatory agency saying, can we come in and do this with you? And if we can do this with you, can we do that? How many other of our regulated entities can we come in and do this with? Can we start doing an entire, you know, an entire industry fall, failover who might be in AWS? And so this is where they start leaning into this, you know, this idea that they have more transparency. And they start to, you start, as an industry, you start to build the trust with the regulatory agencies because they start to see the capabilities, not just from what one of you are doing, but from what many of you are doing. 
And so the, the regulatory expectation here is what I talked about with the customer, is that you operationalize your DR plan. And, and we went back to shared responsibility, and I gave the example that you are going to design your plan. So if you're using S3, there's some, rely, or there's some um, SLA built into that. But you may also want to start working in another region. You may want to replicate your data you know, everywhere in the world, like Netflix does. And you might want to have a couple of golden images of your environment somewhere else so that if your region goes down, you know, our, like I said, our CTO says plan for failure. So plan for it. Think about, do you, can you use multiple availability zones? Is that the right, you know, is that the right RTO and RPO for you? Or is it multi, multiple regions? Is it more than one region? Are you going to be in five different regions to make sure that you can plan for that specific level of resiliency? Next is incident response. This is, the, this is the, probably the third topic. So it usually goes um, the interest, in the interest of helping them understand cloud is the shared responsibility model, then it's security, and then it's somewhere between disaster recovery and incident response. And in incident response, what they really are focusing on, especially it's in, it was in almost every 2017 letter for focus, among the regulatory agencies and financial services, which is cybersecurity, the ability to respond to what's going on in your environment. And what they really want to know is two things. How are you reducing the noise? How are you getting to the real problems, not the, you know, not the four or five level issues where someone just needs to come in and replug something in, whatever, uh, whatever that might be for you. Or make sure you know, I have access on a day of which I'm not supposed to have access. But this ability to reduce the noise down to the point where you're taking the people away from the stuff that a, a machine can solve for you. Uh, there's a really great talk. It's on my last slide. Please make sure you note it. There's a really great talk about incident response in the cloud. And it's really all the way down to the execution and, and code that some of you might be interested in, in watching and learning about. Um, we won't go that big into detail, but one of the things they talk about there is about enriching the data and reducing the response time. Many regulatory agent or regulated entities have a like a 24-hour or 48-hour window in which they have an incident and they have to start reporting it to their regulatory agency, otherwise you're in violation. And if you don't have something to talk about in that 24 hours, especially when you're moving to the cloud and you have centralized logging and you have more control and more visibility into what's going on when changes are made, people are accessing. It's about taking those logs and bringing them together, and the first person who takes a look at that issue should know everything that's in every single log so that they can get the problem to the right people in the right hands and get a story and get something going. And one of the, one of the great things about the stuff that actually, the bumps in the night that happened at AWS is the personal health dashboard. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, I encourage you to check it out. Because if, if, if you're looking at a situation for business continuity and disaster recovery, and you see that something's going on in the personal health dashboard, and you know you're about to have, you could have an incident, or there's something going on, you have the ability to make choices to move away from noise that's going on at AWS. But on your side, again, the expectation is that you're taking new, newer steps to get more granular with the centralized logging, get more into the important noise that's going on. 
And I t this is where I talk to regulatory agencies about everything that we have going on. They want to hear about DDoS Shield. They want to hear about Macy. And now with guard duty, which I think is really cool, I just got my own demo. You'd be surprised I don't actually get to learn about these things in advance, even though they come out of my own organization. So now we're going to ask Mark to join us on stage. Mark is a really interesting individual to speak to because Mark is not, you know, he's, he's not deep in the weeds of security. He's an ex-CFTC commissioner. And for those of you who aren't sure what that is, it's a really big deal in the financial <laughs> services industry. So let's just leave it at that. Um, and so Mark is head of public policy for the DTCC, and he speaks to the regulatory agencies about their move to the cloud. And I had mentioned that you know, they've spent the last 50 years handling a large part of the financial services industry. And that includes clearing trades and, and all of these things that are really critical to the infrastructure. And so I'm, I'm actually going to hand it over to you now, Mark, to give the crowd an introduction of what DTCC does and why all of this is important to them. Great. Well, thanks for having me, Jody. It's a pleasure to be here. DTCC has been around, as Jody said earlier, for about 40 years. And we're the largest um, central counterparty in the world. We clear and settle about $4 trillion worth of securities every day. So there's no other service provider in the United States that does what we do. There are other clearinghouses around the globe, but as I said, we're, we're, we're the largest. And I mention those facts because we were, Jody and I were discussing a number of different things throughout the day, but um, one of the comments that Jody made was that, you know, a lot of firms consider themselves to be snowflakes. Everyone feels like they're terribly unique. Um, but in the case of DTCC, I think we can make a very, very strong case that we're actually uh, the closest thing to a snowflake that you, that you might find. And what that means is there's really a zero risk tolerance for any kind of major disruption or, or failure. Um, having said that, DTCC, like some of the companies that you represent in the audience, um, is operating in a relatively challenging uh, environment right now. And there's been a, a number of financial reforms put in place over, over the last seven or eight years, some of which I was part of, as Jody said, when I was at the CFTC. That's changed the landscape considerably, the environment considerably for uh, financial firms. The things like the, the interest rate environment, macroeconomic policies that have put in place have made it challenging financial, for financial services firms to turn a profit. And then the third big factor um, that's made the environment more challenging is, of course, the technological change that has um, been taking place. And whether that's advances in not just cloud computing, but automation, you mentioned that, uh, artificial intelligence, and even, even technologies like blockchain, which um, basically are being leveraged by new firms who can present opportunities for DTCC, but they can also present uh, competitive threats. So for all those reasons, uh, the company really had to start looking very, very carefully at um, deploying some kind of a cloud strategy, and that's, and that's what we've been doing. Um, a strategy was presented to the board, actually only earlier this year, and the goal is to get completely off-premises over, over a multi-year uh, time frame. Um, but again, get, based on the fact we're a snowflake, uh, we're systemically important. We have considerable regulatory obligations, not just here in the United States, but around the world, and they have to be very carefully managed. So 
we put together a little bit of a strategy in terms of how we're going to get make sure that the regulator um, regulatory committee was going to be comfortable with with the strategy. And I hesitated just a moment ago on what I was going to say because actually what we found as we've had these conversations is that while many people have presumed that there would be an aversion to financial services firms using the cloud on the part of uh, the regulatory community, we're, we're finding that it's really not the case. So our chief technology architect at DTCC likes to put it this way, that there's a bit of a myth of disapproval of the use of cloud vendors in the financial services space, and that's, that's really what we found. Um, it's more of an issue of no one really knows for sure what they don't know because no one has really had those kinds of conversations with regulators to really gauge what the comfort level might, might be. But nonetheless, we wanted to make sure we weren't going to run into any sort of um, unexpected obstacles. So we, we had a two-part plan where we first developed and released this white paper, which we put out in the spring. And the question we asked um, and posed in that paper, and it was really in most ways directed to the regulatory community, the question posed was, what kinds of risks is DTCC inviting upon itself by not considering the cloud? Because all the advances in uh, network security and cybersecurity and the rest of it, and the expertise that companies like AWS have, frankly, are superior probably to most firms who are in a completely different space and their focus is not on those things. So we wanted to make sure that our supervisors considered that question and, and, and thought through that with us. And then the other part of the strategy was um, to have more targeted conversations with the professional staff at these agencies about very specific deployments. So we're not going to move every application that we're running on our mainframe uh, to AWS in the next five months. Each, um, each application will have to go through some internal process and then We'll be obviously working with AWS on that, but that'll also be presented to the regulators. So that's generally how it's going to work. That's, that's what our strategy is going to be to make sure, again, that there's not going to be any unexpected regulatory disapproval. Great. Great. So in the essence of time, let's get through a, a few of these. So I talked about oversight and risk assessment being important. Um, what do you... For your control functions, you, you've obviously been working with very closely to understand how it impacts them. What have you heard from them? Like pe for the people here in the crowd, how, does it, how has it been impacting them? Yeah, so what we did <clears throat> is we, we reached out to each, um, each of the different control functions at DTCC. And, and um, like most financial services firms, it's compliance, it's audit, it's risk. And we asked them the question, as you understand things today, how much more difficult is your job going to be if we go into partnership with a cloud vendor like AWS. And the process started with that question posed to those functions. We gave them time to think about it and then came back to them um, after a couple of months or whatever it was and uh, collected their thoughts and thinking and, and so on. And I would say that the headline of this review was, uh, by and large, I think there was some amount of surprise that for the most part, and I don't want to overgeneralize too much, but for the most part, uh, the review is such that I think on balance people thought it wasn't really going to be much more difficult, which, which was a little bit unexpected. I think there was an expectation that um, there would be some more fundamental changes in how these different functional areas within the control space uh, would have to operate going forward. 
That's not to say that things will be the same. Um, uh, they, they won't in every instance. But if I can just talk about a couple examples. Um, security incident management, our, our technology risk management group deals with that at DTCC. And with all of the tools and resources that AWS can bring to bear um, on that function, that's an area at, at our company where they're really not going to see much of a change. And if anything, uh, their jobs might be made a little bit more easy because they might have more tools than they have today. Um, that's one example. Another example where there will be a little bit of a change is in the audit function. And the key thing here, if I can boil it down, is our audit function at a company like ours, what they do is they review the company's policies and procedures, and then they make sure that, that the company is following them. And the way they can ensure that the company is following them, or at least give our supervisors comfort that they're being followed, is they provide reports. But as you and I were discussing earlier, what has happened over the last number of years is that the examinations teams at our different regulatory uh, partners, their expectations and demands have actually gone up as well. They've placed more demands on us. So it's not enough to just file a report um, and, and call it a day. What they've asked us to do now is what we refer internally as showing your work. So you file the report, but you have to actually explain in some amount of detail what went into the report to demonstrate that overall compliance. So back to the original question, the audit group, in order to show the work, um, obviously would just walk down the hall and consult the IT professionals uh, in the case of this type of an issue and, um, and be able to get that information to make that demonstration that the regulators are required. Now, it's going to be a little bit different when you're in partnership with AWS because you can't walk down the hallway anymore. You're going to have to consult with experts who are with, within an entirely different organization. So the issue really is making sure we have access to the subject matter experts when we need it so that the audit function can really show its work and um, demonstrate compliance. Yeah, and I so think, that's something that's just going to be a little bit different. Yeah, and we talked to briefly about this idea that some of, the, some of our most agile organizations using AWS in these kind of markets are hiring developers in their audit departments so that they can create artifacts for transparency and be able to demonstrate and show, show their work. Uh, and I think that's, those are, I mean, of course, these are people who are much further down the path, but that really is this new wave of auditors that are going to be expected who can, you know, speak the same language as the people who are actually designing the architecture. Great. We, I mentioned exit strategy, and it, how, how does an organization such as yourself consider, you know, your exit from AWS or your strategy? Well, again, back to our snowflake status, we, we, um, we have to be able to demonstrate a plan with respect to um, business continuity. And that's what really comes into play when, when, when uh, the topic of an exit strategy comes up, because as you mentioned before, there is such thing as a divorce in the context of a vendor relationship. And typically for DTCC, the notice that a divorce is coming happens many, many years before the divorce itself. And we're operating now in an environment where um, that type of luxury of time just, just really doesn't make a lot of sense, not just for our vendors, but frankly, uh, in my own personal view, I might, it might not be shared by my 
all of my colleagues in the risk function at DTCC, but that's not really a luxury for us anymore either. So there's going to be a shorter amount of time between that notice and, and when um, a divorce actually has to happen. But the more important point here is there has to be more advanced planning and more consideration of optionality sooner um, in this new environment. And that's just something that uh, DTCC is, is, is going to be forced to adapt to. But um, as I said, I think given the circumstances, it's appropriate. I think that's in general for the businesses alike, right? I mean, if you look at how cloud has changed, has brought in this wave of fintechs who are disrupting your business and all of those of the, the large banking industry, I mean, that is the wave that has come in, right? If you weren't watching it, I think, I think Jamie Dimon mentioned it in his either last year or the year before shareholder letter that, you know, this was a wave of fintechs that were coming for his business yep. and that they had to get in front of it with some, with innovation like cloud services. Yep, absolutely. So uh, we have, so I talked about security and data privacy, how important it is. Um, how, I mean, we have, you have to earn the trust every day, right? You have to show up every day at work and earn the trust of the regulatory agencies. How do you do it in an institution like yourself where you're, you're not only earning the trust of the regulatory agencies, you're also earning the trust of the entire financial services customers that you support? Right. Well, it's, it's, it's difficult, um, but certainly can be done. And, and look, the way DTCC looks at this is through the lens of its regulatory obligations. So we can gain the tr trust of our two key stakeholders, which, again, are our supervisors, but also our customers. They want to make sure that um, our systems are operating safely, but they also want to make sure that their own information they turn over to us is kept secure. Um, and the way we... Uh, manage those stakeholders is by demonstrating regulatory compliance. We have very significant obligations laid upon us by Reg SCI and some other uh, types of um, security and privacy laws and regulations around the world. And if we meet our view is that if we meet that standard, we're going to make those stakeholders comfortable. Now, the way we can do that is by again making sure we have maximum visibility in this new paradigm where you're using a cloud vendor as a partner, having maximum visibility into those systems. And, and um, again, I think the, through the conversations uh, that DTCC has had with AWS, there are a lot of resources made available to DTCC uh, to have that visibility, um, which again can allow us to meet those regulatory responsibilities. Great. So it's about, it's about transparency, transparency to yourselves internally so that you can demonstrate your security and control compliance. Absolutely. Yeah, there are various reports you have to file, again, to show compliance. Um, and you can't, you can't inform those reports unless you have that transparency into what's going on yeah. at AWS. We've had a lot of dialogue about this one, <laughs> probably about a good 15 minutes about this. So you're the backbone of the large part of the financial services industry, and you're that special snowflake. <laughs> How do, you, how do you think about this? How do you talk about this with your regulatory agencies? High availability and disaster recovery, of course. Yeah, well, again, this is um, in some ways perhaps the most important um, obligation that we have both to our customers but, again, to our regulatory stakeholders. We have to demonstrate we're going to be able to continue operating. Um, there's, just, there's just no other option. There's no tolerance of uh, anything short of that. So... 
one of the things, though, two of the, two of the issues that come up in this, in this uh, general topic uh, are the first being sometimes you have certain policy goals that don't always square nicely or can even be in some conflict with other policy goals related to business continuity. And the best example, and you know, I've talked about this, the best example is in the case of Europe where you have a number of different privacy laws, uh, data accessibility requirements uh, imposed by individual jurisdictions in Europe that might make it harder to ensure the most uh, resilient architecture you can design for yourself because you might, in that case, want to make sure you're involving multiple uh, regions in your, in your uh, technology platform. Now, for us, DTCC, that hasn't really become much of an issue, of an issue yet, but it's something that the company is aware of and, and is thinking about. Uh, the other key area here is, or the other key issue is, um, again, with respect to business continuity, there's very specific regulatory obligations like demonstrating that you've done testing to ensure there's adequate capacity to run your systems. And uh, to do that testing and show proof of that testing, it's, it's a little more straightforward when you're dealing with on-premises data centers. So that's been something we've had to adjust to um, as, we've, as we've tried to implement this cloud strategy. And again, not anything that can't be worked through, but just something that, is, that has created a little bit of a difference in operating. Um, and that's really, that's really been the key, key thing. Um, and so again, this to me, business continuity is, is sort of the paramount, paramount expectation that we have based on all of our regulatory ob obligations. Again, we just can't, we just can't go down. Yeah. The, the consequences of us going down would be so dire for the U.S. marketplace, but given the interdependencies with the global marketplace, um, it would have a cascading effect that would be uh, uh, very, very bad. And I think that's important probably for everyone in the crowd. Like you, you know, your business is running, you want to keep it running, and I, it, it's the same thing for you, is not only do you have to keep it running to keep your customers, you have to keep it running to keep your entire business and the systemic industry. Right. Uh, incident response, I know that you know, having worked in the industry and being an ex-regulator, Reg SCI is always incredibly important to have to report back to your agencies of what's going on. It's that whole concept I talked about. You have a 24-hour window, probably one of the shortest windows out there in the, in the space. What do you see changing? What do you see being different for cloud services and incident response? Yeah, this is, I don't, I don't expect this to be much of an issue for DTCC, but, but again, because we're now involving AWS as a vendor partner, and AWS is gonna have its own personnel looking at the same uh, situation, same incidents, same facts and circumstances, however you wanna say it. Uh, what the company, what DTCC has had to think about is, in light of that, uh, how do we make sure that everyone's on the same page in terms of what actually amounts to an incident um, that has to be reported? An incident is a term of art under Reg SCI, as, as, as Jody, you said. Um, and so what we thought about is, is there, some, is there some scenario that might even seem borderline theoretical where something happens someplace in the AWS environment that can't be seen directly by DTCC based on its use of the AWS systems, but nonetheless has an impact. 
uh, on our services. How quickly can we know about that? Uh, would it be an incident that folks at AWS might consider to be an incident uh, or not? Would we at DTCC look at that in the same way? Would we both conclude that, yes, this is an incident? So there's just a little bit of an opportunity for a, a difference in opinion on what amounts to an incident. That's kind of the, the yeah. bottom line here. So it's just something that has to be considered, thought about, and, and um, you know, probably work through as much as you can. And I probably, uh, I'm sure you probably worked that with your enterprise support team. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Great. So I wanted to leave you with two things that I thought you could do right now being that you're not the people who are like us meeting with the regulatory agencies, perhaps. You're the ones who are going to be working with your stakeholders to understand what all of this means. And the two things that I, I picked up from our community, I actually went out and polled our security essay community who work with people like you as to what, what will they do after this. I'm not in your job, so I didn't necessarily know what you would do. And so I went about asking people. And they thought two things. The first thing was sharing the vocabulary, not necessarily just with your audit teams, but with people like Mark or people like your legal team or your procurement teams or your risk teams or your compliance teams, whatever you may call them. But to share the vocabulary with them about the services, share the vocabulary about shared responsibility. I also have share learnings with them. All of this great information that you're taking from reInvent, all of the stuff is gonna be on YouTube. And so now you can go and Create your own learning path for your, that's one of the first things I did here. So um, I will actually advance to the next slide too. The first thing is the AWS auditor learning path. When I got here, I said, how do we not have a learning path? We have thousands of videos. I encourage you to create your own learning path for your stakeholders. There's services that you're using. There's um, things that you've attended here that are, you're like, wow, that's exactly what we're going to be doing. This describes exactly how we're going to do this. And walk them through that path, because that's what our, our auditor learning path does, is it walks you through many of our trainings as well as our reInvent sessions, I think are imp important for people who are, would be in positions like myself or Mark. AWS Artifact. I encourage you to get your compliance teams involved in, or risk or audit, whatever you may call them, these teams understanding how to use it, get them access to the console. This is the first step in them understanding the console and using it. And once you can get them comfortable, then you start working on that vocabulary with your audit teams. The ability for them to understand, okay, so I might be able to actually create, show my work. And how could I do that? And how could you give me my own S3 bucket with read-only access? We have IAM permissions and specific roles for audit teams that only give them access, read-only access to an environment and get them using things like Trusted Advisor. Get them to understand these tools that are built for them. And build your own, build your own way to give them artifacts in, to demonstrate that they're compliant with whatever particular procedures or processes you have internally. Obviously, we have our compliance website. I mentioned before the service documentation this was my way of, when I first joined AWS, I came from a regulator and was not specifically brought up with understanding cloud in our services. And so the way I got, the way I did my learning was through the service documentation. If I was gonna understand the most important aspects of that service, where, is, where the vulnerabilities would be, I'd be concerned about as an auditor, I went to the best practices. Because those best practices are obviously important enough 
for us to put them in the service documentation. I'm sure you'll find many of them in Trusted Advisor. And those are the ones that they need to be paying attention to. We have an endless amount of white papers. So if you have a keyword, you could go into our white papers section and search for it, and I guarantee there's something there for you. And then, of course, I mentioned an incident response. This is the automating security events from idea to code to execution. This is not only about how you think about incident response, but it's also a parlay of how we think about incident response and how we encourage customers to get reduce the noise. I think they talk about in this particular video how our security team, you'd think we have hundreds and thousands of people on call all the time, and they talk about why we don't in this particular session. And there's actually a number of incident response sessions with Beetle. He's not a bug. He's a truly a human being that works here. Um, he, he runs these sessions because that's what he does here. He, he, hand, he works in our AWS security department. So that's our session. Make sure you fill out our survey. And thank you so much for coming. And it looks like nobody was held hostage. So please enjoy the rest of reInvent.